and belladonna to make your eyes like a beast, to anoint the body and make it shine, to drink and make thyself divine, to choose another's form and make it thine. I mentioned in the previous episode that I had a few more things to say about witches' flying ointment, so I want to get into that in this episode. Witches' flying ointment is a hallucinogenic ointment that's said to have been used by witches in the practice of European witchcraft from at least as far back as the early modern period. That's when detailed recipes for witches' flying ointment preparations were first recorded. Francis Bacon was an English philosopher who lived from 1561 to 1626. He was also known as Lord Verolam. He listed the ingredients of witches' flying ointment as the fat of children digged out of their grave, juices of smallage, which was wild celery, wolfbane. Wolfsbane belongs to a genus of plants called aconitum, and they're known to be poisonous they contain aconite, which is a neurotoxin, and cardiotoxin. So according to Francis Bacon, in addition to the fat of children, wild celery, and wolfbane, the ointment also contains cinquefoil, which is also sometimes called barren strawberry. It's from the Potentilla family. It's called barren strawberry because they look similar to strawberries but have dry, inedible fruit. Potentilla erecta is used in herbalism for inflammation and gastrointestinal disorders. Other species are used in traditional Chinese medicine to treat diabetes. You would take the fat of children, the juices of wild celery, wolfsbane, and cinquefoil and mix them with a meal of fine wheat. There are other unrelated texts on ethnobotany that list some of these ingredients in witches' flying ointment. These ingredients are poisonous, so be careful. Belladonna, henbane bell, jimsonweed, black henbane, mandrake, hemlock, and wolfsbane. Most of these contain atropine, hyoscyamine, and or scopolamine. Scopolamine can cause psychotropic effects when absorbed through the skin or transdermally. These tropane alkaloids are classified as deliriants in regard to their psychoactive effects. Deliriants are a subclass of hallucinogens. The term deliriant was coined in the early 1980s to distinguish these drugs from psychedelics and dissociatives such as LSD and ketamine. LSD is a psychedelic and ketamine is a dissociative. Delirients cause delirium as opposed to the more lucid and less disturbed states produced by other types of hallucinogens. The term deliriant generally refers to anticholinergic drugs, which are substances that inhibit the function of the neurotransmitter acetylcholine. Common examples of delirients include plants in the genera Datura and and Brugmansia. They both contained scopolamine. Higher than recommended dosages of diphenhydramine or Benadryl can have similar effects. A number of plant deliriants, such as those in the Solanaceae family, have been used by some indigenous cultures in the Americas to reach delirious and altered states for traditional rituals, such as rites of passage, divination, or communicating with ancestors. But despite their long history of use, deliriants are actually the least studied class of hallucinogens in terms of 
their behavioral and neurological effects. Witches' flying ointment recipes often contain deliriants because they are naturally occurring anticholinergic substances, and they're found in plant species like Atropa belladonna, which is also known as deadly nightshade, in various Brugmansia species like angels' trumpets, in jimson weed, which is also known as Datura stramonium, henbane, which is Hyoscyamus niger, and mandrake, which is Mandragora officinarum. These naturally occurring anticholinergic deliriants are also found in the form of tropane alkaloids like scopolamine, atropine, and hyoscyamine. There are also synthetic compounds such as diphenhydramine or Benadryl and Dramamine, which is diamond hydronate. These are also deliriants, but like I said, they're synthetic. Interestingly, nutmeg is also considered a deliriant due to its propensity to cause anticholinergic-like symptoms when it's taken in large doses, but it's not reported to be as unpleasant or as strong as diphenhydramine or scopolamine. But the deliriant effects of nutmeg can actually last for several days, so be careful with that. The mushroom that is referred to as fly agaric has active ingredients called ibotenic acid and These are considered deliriants, but fly agaric mushrooms are probably more accurately described as hypnotics. In rare cases, highly toxic plants from the Aconitum or Wolfsbane genus have been used as deliriants by certain groups practicing European witchcraft, or the poison path, or the left-hand path, or asceticism, and this is due to the unpleasant but supposed altered state of consciousness which can be a side effect of Wolfsbane poisoning but it is referred to as poisoning and you need to be careful. I hope that helps you understand a little bit more about what delirians are. One more thing I want to mention though is that despite the fully legal status of several common deliriant plants in over-the-counter medicines, delirians are largely unpopular as recreational drugs and this is because of the severe dysphoria, the uncomfortable and generally damaging cognitive and physical effects, as well as the unpleasant nature of the hallucinations. Oftentimes, people try these substances once and decide they will never try them again. In addition to potentially dangerous mental effects, for example, accidents during deliriant experiences are pretty common, but in addition to that, some tropane alkaloids, such as those found in the plants of the Datura genus, are poisonous and can cause death due to tachycardia-induced heart failure. They can also cause hypoventilation and hyperthermia in pretty small doses. So hypoventilation would be like the slowing down of your breathing. Anticholinergics have been shown to increase the risk of developing dementia with long-term use even at therapeutic doses, so they are presumed to carry an even greater risk when they're used at hallucinogenic dosages. So despite all of these negative effects, there are still some people that use these substances recreationally, and this has gone on for centuries around the world. It's thought that Europe was in introduced to some of these substances by the Romani people who would smoke or ingest plants such as Datura to experience hallucinations. Also, some witches who work with these deliriant plants, especially in hedgewitchery practices or wart cunning, they would traditionally mix in medicinal or neuroprotective plants either directly during the intoxications or later on to counter the negative health consequences or symptoms such as dysphoria or senility. So that's a little bit 
bit about the composition of witches flying ointment and how dangerous it could potentially be, but also how some people use some of these substances recreationally. In the previous episode, I talked a little bit about the controversy over whether witches could actually fly using their flying ointment or if it was more of a flight in spirit. This debate was usually argued between members of the church. It has been the subject of discussion between clergymen as to whether witches were able to physically fly to the Sabbath on their brooms with the help of the ointment, or whether such flight was explicable in other ways, like a delusion created by the devil in the minds of the witches. So they argued that the soul of the witch would leave their body and fly in spirit to the Sabbath. Basically, a hallucinatory trip was facilitated by the entheogenic effects of potent drugs that were absorbed through their skin. The next part kind of reminds me of the play Romeo and Juliet. You know how Juliet took a potion that caused her to fall into like a deep coma or something and then everyone thought she was dead but she wasn't and she woke up in the crypt and all of that? Well, here they talk about body and coma and riding on beasts. And here's a quote. Anointing themselves with certain unguents, they are carried by night through the air to distant lands to do certain black magic. But nothing of this is true, though they think it to be. While they are thus dead and cold, they have no more feeling than a corpse and may be scourged and burnt. But after the time agreed upon, their senses are liberated, they rise well and marry, relate what they have done, and bring news from other lands. So it sounds like these people are falling into a deep, deep sleep. Like basically they are sedated, kind of like you would be if you were going under anesthesia for surgery or something like that. The Dominican churchman Bartolomeo Spina of Pisa gives two accounts of the power of flying ointment in his treatise on witches or evildoers. This is from 1525. His first account concerns an incident in the life of his acquaintance Augustus de Terre of Bergamo, who was a physician. While studying medicine in Pavia as a young man, Augustus returned late one night to his lodgings and he didn't have a key, and there was no one awake to let him in. He climbed up to a balcony where he was able to enter through a window, and what he saw shocked him. So he sought out a maidservant who should have been awake to let him in, but when he checked her room, he found her laying unconscious on the floor and he was unable to wake her up. The following morning, he tried to question her about it, but she would only reply that she had been on a journey. Bartolomeo's second account is more suggestive and points toward another element in the witch's flights. So this account concerns a notary from Lugano who was unable to find his wife one morning, and he searched for her all over their estate and finally found her lying deeply unconscious, naked and dirty with her vagina exposed in a corner of the pigsty. So the notary immediately understood that she must have been a witch, and at first he wanted to kill her on the spot, but thinking better of such rashness, he waited until she recovered from her stupor in order to question her. Terrified by his wrath, the poor woman fell to her knees and confessed that during the night she had been on a journey. So there was this persistent theme in European witchcraft. The idea went like this. Women were seduced by demons and they rode at night on certain beasts with Diana, the goddess of pagans, and also with a whole bunch of other women, and they travel really far distances in silence in the deepest night. That was a commonly held belief in European witchcraft. But here's another account that comes from Norway from the early 18th century. This is the testimony of a 13-year-old girl named Siri Jorgenstadter. Siri claimed that when she was seven, 
11, her grandmother had taken her to the witch's Sabbath on the mountain meadow Blockula, or Blue Hill. Her grandmother led her to a pigsty, where she smeared a sow, a female pig, with some ointment. She had taken the ointment from a horn. Then, the grandmother and granddaughter got on top of the sow, and after a short ride through the air, arrived at a building on the Sabbath mountain. So people had these wild, fantastical tales of women flying through the air at night in large groups and meeting up to have these witchy ceremonies, witchy meetings. But oftentimes, as you can see, it was just a result of maybe a woman getting intoxicated and like, you know, when you get passed out drunk or whatever. And I mean, I'm not saying that I know this from personal experience, of course, but (laughs) maybe they got a little too intoxicated and just kind of fell out wherever they were. And when they woke up from it, yeah, it might have felt like they had been on a journey, but I doubt they were actually flying through the air or anything like that. Who knows? But you can see that they want to apply some level of sexual element to it because it's all about women and laying there in a way that is immodest and all of that. But let's get into that a little bit deeper. The alleged sexual element in the application of which is flying ointment. They say the hallucinations are frequently dominated by the erotic moment. In those days, in order to experience these sensations, young and old women would rub their bodies with the witch's salve. The witches confess that they anoint a staff and ride on it to the appointed place or anoint themselves under the arms and in other hairy places. In rifling the closet of Lady Alice Kyteller, they found a pipe of ointment that was used to grease a staff. Then she would climb on this staff that had been rubbed with the ointment and she would gallop around in whatever manner she pleased. I've mentioned Alice Kyteller in a previous episode. She was a noble woman who had a maidservant, Petronilla de Meath. The episode was actually more about Petronilla de Meath, but it was about how women were targeted for this kind of persecution and labeled as witches and how the people closest to them were turned against them. Some sources have claimed that witches' flying ointment would best be absorbed through the mucous membranes and that the traditional image of a female witch on top of a broomstick implies that the flying ointment was being applied to their vulva. The testimony of Alice Kyteller's maidservant Petronilla de Meath was definitely compromised because it was given under torture. She was literally being tortured to confess and to turn over her boss, basically. But her testimony contains references not only to Alice Kyteller's ability to make these preparations of witches' flying ointment, but also of Alice Kyteller's sexual behavior. And I mentioned that in the episode that I did on Petronilla de Meath. They basically accused her of having sexual intercourse with a demon. And I thought it was a little sketchy and racist that this demon happened to be described as a black person, but whatever. So there were at least seven charges that were levied against Dame Alice Kyteller, and here they describe the fifth charge, which is of particular interest. In order to arouse feelings of love or hatred or to inflict death or disease on the bodies of the faithful, they made use of powders, unguents, ointments, and candles of fat, which were compounded as follows. They took the end 
entrails of cocks sacrificed to demons, certain horrible worms, various unspecified herbs, dead men's nails, the hair, brains, and shreds of the cerements of boys who were buried unbaptized, with other abominations, all of which they cooked, with various incantations, over a fire of oak logs in a vessel made out of the skull of a decapitated thief. So that was just a little bit about the alleged sexual elements in the application of witches flying ointment. And of course, because this was something that the Christian church tried to use to demonize women, of course they would try to add a sexual element to it to make the women seem even more immoral and impure. Now I want to get into the possible opiate component. There are some people who believe that you can counteract the effects of the delirians in witches flying ointments by taking opiates and that has actually proven to be false. Opiates do not counteract the effects of the delirians that are in witches flying ointments. So be very careful with that because in fact opiates can have a synergistic effect with these other compounds and basically they can increase the effects rather than acting as an antidote. But here's some misinformation from King's American Dispensatory. The entry on Belladonna says, quote, Belladonna and opium appear to exert antagonistic influences, especially as regards to their action on the brain, the spinal cord, and heart. They have consequently been recommended and employed as antidotes to each other in cases of poisoning, end quote. But they go on to make the extravagant claim that, quote, this matter is now positively and satisfactorily settled. Hence, in all cases of poisoning by belladonna, the great remedy is morphine, and its use may be guided by the degree of pupillary contraction it occasions, end quote. I'm going to reiterate that this is false. The use of opiates in the treatment of belladonna poisoning is strongly contraindicated in modern medical practices. It is definitely not recommended that you use morphine or any other type of opiate to try to counteract the effects of belladonna. In fact, the synergy between belladonna and poppy alkaloids was made use of in what was called twilight sleep. So this twilight sleep was provided for women during childbirth beginning in the Edwardian era. Twilight sleep was a mixture of scopolamine, a belladonna alkaloid, and morphine. They also injected a papaver alkaloid. This combination of painkilling and amnesia was used for women in labor. A version of this is actually still manufactured for use as the injectable compound called Omnipon. If you're well versed in pop culture, you may have heard mention of witches flying ointments in drama, literature, film, and music. There is a play by Francisco de Rojas Zorilla, who lived from 1607 to 1648. He includes an exchange concerning flying ointment. And this is from the play What the Marquis of Villena Wanted. It's a conversation between the Marquis and Zambapolo. The Marquis says, Others believe that witches can fly. Zambapolo replies, And can't they? The Marquis says, Certainly not, you ignorant fellow. Zambapolo replies, Since I'm no specialist in these matters, I must ask you what happens. The Marquis says, They all rub themselves with ointment. Zambapolo replies, And then what? The Marquis goes on, The ointment which is an opiate made of henbane given to them by the devil, sends them to sleep, and they dream such a dream that they think they are not dreaming at all. And since the devil has a great power to deceive, he makes them all dream the same dream, and 
that is why they think they are flying through the air when they are really fast asleep. And although they never fly at all, they think as soon as they wake that they have all been to see the calf and all visited the fields at Baraona, when by God in reality, more than two of them have been asleep in their rooms with the ointment on them. So that was from the poem What the Marquis of Vilena Wanted, and it was just a reference to witches' flying ointment. In Nathaniel Hawthorne's Young Goodman Brown, Goody Cloyce, after meeting the devil, says, quote, I was all anointed with the juice of smallage and cinquefoil and wolfsbane, end quote, to which the devil replies, quote, mingled with fine wheat and the fat of a newborn babe, end quote. In Jody Picoult's Salem Falls, a group of four girls practicing witchcraft ingest a flying ointment made of belladonna. In the 2015 horror film The Witch, a witch kills an infant and makes flying ointment out of his corpse. In the 2019 movie Portrait of a Lady on Fire, the two main characters apply a flying ointment to their armpits. And in the 2020 movie Hansel and Gretel, the witch was caressing a precious jar filled with ointment. She then applies it to herself and she initiates Gretel into witchcraft by inducing her to do the same thing. There's even a reference to witches flying ointment in music. On the album The Donut in Granny's Greenhouse, the band describes a darkly comic and surprisingly detailed evocation of the traditional witch's Sabbath, and it features witches flying ointment. Quote, and belladonna to make your eyes like a beast, to anoint the body and make it shine, to drink and make thyself divine, to choose another's form and make it thine. Well, I hope you learned a little something about witches' flying ointment. Thank you so very much for listening to my podcast. My name is Andrea, and this is Path of a Green Witch Podcast. Thank you for listening.